Mark chapter 15 verse 33 states, When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. I'm sure you can see the setting. Dark. Morbid. Gloomy. Verse 34 says, And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and these words I'm not going to pronounce right, Eloi, Eloi, lema, sabachthani, which I can read the translation is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Many of my classmates have used this piece of scripture to try and prove that Jesus sinned, asking God why he forsake him on the cross, and saying that somehow that made Jesus imperfect. And this is a complete doctrine fallacy for these other people who are claiming to be Christians or actually churchians. It's a doctrine fallacy for them to say. When people look at the Bible and they try to say Jesus sinned or Jesus wasn't a perfect man and they try to use this instance to justify that claim, it's important as bold Christians and bold people who stand up in faith that we look back to see what exactly Jesus was doing, both the context is behind what's going on, and how what his words were impact the whole story of him on the cross. This is Katie Thomas on Being Bold MCR, and if you want to know why Jesus was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then you better tune in to Being Bold MCR. So most of us know the story of Jesus being on the cross, being beaten, being tormented, being tortured, proclaiming to be the Messiah, and, well, as we know in hindsight, and as the disciples knew, rightfully so. When we look to Jesus' crucifixion, however, he does say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is kind of interesting, because Jesus is doing exactly what my friends sometimes annoyingly do. I'll give you an example. One of my friends, every time I say, if I'm being honest, begins to sing the chorus to the hit Chainsmokers song, if I'm being honest, just completely referencing the song, and it drives me insane. To the friend who does that, if you're listening, please stop. I still love you, but it's pretty annoying. Regardless of that, my friends like to reference songs, or for instance, if I ever say, are you ready for it? Another friend will start to sing the Taylor Swift song. Are you ready for it? Or some people like to scream, It's the final countdown. Yeah, you know that person. What are they doing? They're taking some lyric they know from a song and declaring it because it somehow applies to the situation you're in. I mean, let's face it. There is actual evidence and psychological, neurological support that says that when we listen to music, our brain completely takes the lyrics and the melodies and stores them in a part of our brain that is known as implicit memory. And whenever our brain tends to take this type of memory and take lyrics and take songs, when we, when we memorize it, it doesn't go away. Like I guarantee you, if you were to hear a song from a long, long, long time ago, you would probably memorize the lyrics, or at least you'd memorize the melody. Songs don't go away. But songs aren't just like a 20th century thing. Songs are something that were around during the biblical times as well. Take, for instance, King David 
was like a rock star for his time. He wrote a ton of psalms and a lot of the ones that we recognize today. He was literally a Old Testament rock star, super popular, um, at least in hindsight, guy who wrote music. It was one of his talents. It was one of the ways that he believed specifically in worshiping God. Well, the interesting thing about him writing music is that his music wasn't forgotten. It's kind of like if we listen to some of the bands from the 1950s, only Jesus is listening to bands from further back in the sense that he's listening to David's psalms. I mean, I don't know if they had bands back then. It sounded more like they had, like, choir-type deals. I don't know. But when we go back to the psalm in which Jesus is actually quoting, we see that Jesus isn't just randomly asking God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I on this cross? I don't understand because the fact is that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is taking a moment that he, re- he remembers something in the Psalms and saying it because it applies to his situation. Kind of like my friends who sing the chain smoker Taylor Swift in the final countdown. They see a similarity in a moment and it reminds them of a song or in Jesus' case, a psalm. He's quoting that psalm. Let's read the actual psalm. It's actually one of the longer ones in, the, in this uh, part of the Bible, but it says, From Suffering to Praise. That's the title in my Bible for you. And it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first line. That's the one that Jesus says. Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? And my, and my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. Man, those first two verses, a little depressing. But to be fair, Jesus was being crucified, which was the worst way of being killed in ancient Rome. But what does verse 3 say? But you are holy. So to the person who claims that Jesus saying, why have you forsaken me, is making him an imperfect person, Jesus is referencing a song that still turns suffering into praise. So just first and foremost, that argument doesn't stand. So if you know anybody saying that, you bold Christians listening, remember that there's always context to the New Testament and that Jesus also knew the Old Testament scriptures, knew the Psalms, knew all that, and that he's not just always saying things just to say them. Sometimes he's referencing writings from the Old Testament. It says, You are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. You, they cried to you and you were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. In verse 6 it says, But I am worn and not a man, scorned by men and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. Then the mocking that, they, he get, that David gives the example of says, He relies on the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him since he takes pleasure in him. Now I want to stop right there. First off, point out something really interesting. Jesus is on the cross, and he's not just making up the words. He's referencing a song. You know people, how people are like, this song fits my mood? This song fits Jesus' mood. Why? Because if you look at verse 6, it says how he's scorned by men and despised by people. 
Jesus is literally hanging on the cross with soldiers snickering and laughing and mocking him who have beat him, tormented him, whipped him, put a crown of thorns on his head. And Jesus is referencing a song that literally says, scorned by men and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him since he takes pleasure in him. Jesus is referencing a song that describes his situation. And prophetically so. Because this song was written before he was even crucified. Before he was even born. It says in verse 9, You took me from the womb, making me secure while at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. I was given over to you at birth. Jesus was known to be the Messiah. God had a plan for him. He had a plan. And Jesus recognizes in this song that ever since birth, this was what the Lord had for him to do. Because remember, Jesus was fully, fully God and fully man. Do not be far from me because distress and near is there is no one to help. There's no one to help Jesus at this point. The deed has to be done. Why? Because that was according to God's plan for him to save humanity. It says, many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me, and they open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. In a very, um, in a very interesting way, this also applies to the crucifixion of Jesus. Because think about it, like, David is using imagery here. He's using imagery uh, to explain what's happening. But to Jesus, he's on the cross. People, you know, people don't like him. He's still referring to the people scorning him. He, so his bones are disjointed. His heart is like wax melting with him. His strength is dried up and his tongue sticks to the root of his mouth. You put me into the dust of death. I mean, for Jesus picking a song to reference while being crucified, I'd say this is a pretty accurate one. It goes on. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. That's kind of interesting to me. Pierced my hands and my feet. What, what's something that we constantly insert in our worship lyrics in church? By his wounds, one lyric, pierce his hands, pierce his feet. It's a common theme because that's what happened to Jesus on the cross. It's an interesting parallel. It's just an interesting parallel. They divided my garments among themselves and cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my only one from the power of these dogs. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And then it goes in to talk about how he's going to proclaim his name. I will proclaim your name to my brothers. I will praise you in the congregation. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or detested the torment of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the congregation because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Now this last piece of the psalm is what blows my mind away and I think holds weight 
as being the song Jesus references on the cross. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Don't we remember his crucifixion? Don't we remember his love? Don't we remember what God did for us? What Jesus did for us? For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him, and the next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and tell a people yet to be born about his righteousness, what he has done. Now, I get that there, ha- there is partial context to why David was writing this, but I want to talk about the fact that this fulfills exactly what Jesus was doing on the cross. How being the song that Jesus essentially is like, this is what is happening. This is my situation. Here's the deal. First off, he talks about people who will prosper, but those who when they go down in the dust and kneel before him, they may not be able to preserve their lives. He's talking about building the church. Or at least... It's interesting that he brings it up and then the church was built after his crucifixion. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and tell a people yet to be born about his righteousness and what he has done. What is it that Jesus is doing as as he's not standing, he's not standing on the cross, but as he's hanging on the cross? He's, He's sanctifying and fixing all the sins and taking the blame and taking the punishment for all the sins of all those who believe and call upon the name of the Lord. Those people, his disciples, those who see him resurrected, those who see him began to tell about the miracle that Jesus did on the cross for us. The thing, the greatest gift that humanity has ever received. There has been martyrdom since as well to those who cannot preserve his life. Honoring the Lord, remembering the Lord, and remembering what he has done, I don't think just refers in the Old Testament context that the song was written to necessarily what happened that the Lord had helped um, the Old Testament figures with. But I think that Jesus is like, remember this? This is like, this, this is like me. This, like the song reminds me of what I came to do. I think it's interesting when people like to go to the New Testament and say, well, this doesn't make sense, or this is completely wrong, or even go so far to say that Jesus sinned, and that is this awful, um, not this awful person, but this person who didn't live a life that he, was, that he cracked it all up to be. That he wasn't perfect, or that he's just this good spirit, or that he was this good teacher. No. Jesus prophetically referred to a song that described his situation. Because just like my friends who I love to death, when we're in a moment and we remember a song, something that we grew up hearing, it's very possible that Jesus grew up hearing this. We reference it. We reference it. So I want you guys to remember to share this out. And don't forget that Being Bull is going to be posting more podcasts. I hope you guys enjoyed and you share this information. You guys have a wonderful day.